Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. How are you doing, Bo? I'm doing great over here. Uh, dog days of summer are upon us, Lefty. Absolutely. Exciting time of year for uh, current and upcoming sports events. Uh, start out with some headlines, why don't we? Um, NBA fan or not, you had to have heard about LeBron James's new uh, two-year $97.1 million contract. Uh, this makes James the highest-earning player in NBA history with $532 million in career-guaranteed money. So he'll be uh, 38 years old in December. You know, he's still playing at a high level, but not at the level he's played at for the majority of his career, as you can imagine. Um, this will most likely be the last contract he signs in his, you know, storied career. Lefty, how do you feel about organizations making these types of moves with athletes in the, in the twilight of their career? Do you feel like you've seen long-term benefits for a club when something like this happens? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, as, as you just talked about, this is the last stop of his illustrious career. Um, and he's actually the most recognizable, largest name, um, you know, since since Michael Jordan. Uh, there's a lot of money to come just from that name power alone. Uh, for sure. They talk about it in soccer all the time, but like, you know, kit sales will pay for the transfer. Uh, uh-huh. I think literally here, uh, probably jersey sales and other merchandise is probably going to offset this contract fully. Sure. Obviously, sure. that doesn't help with, uh, you know, salary cap issues constraints but sure. uh, as a purely financial move no issues with this whatsoever on either side yeah absolutely uh, and you know congrats to him you're you're paying for a brand altogether uh, also a mindset you know if the lakers are planning to build up their future um having someone like lebron a living legend who's on the court every day with that mindset um is important it's important to growth and it'll happen Absolutely. And, you know, with, with such a large contract, um, you know, also comes just all kinds of media exposure. Every sure. single thing that's going to happen to the Lakers in the next two seasons is going to be heavily talked about, scrutinized. And, you know, with that, more eyeballs, more money, good all around. That's right. That's right. Everybody's happy. I uh, wanted to touch on an interview from a couple of days ago next, actually. You know, uh, Lefty, you and I have discussed uh, in other shows and personally our views on the NCAA and its regulations, right? You know, uh, histor- historically, it's been a, a very one-sided relationship when it comes to student-athletes. You you work for me, I get paid, you can't and don't worry about it. If you're any good, you'll get paid someday, hopefully. But in the meantime, do what I say, right? Absolutely. You, uh, you don't get a say in that, uh... You, you just come out there and play the sport. You're, you're an athlete. Right, you're, exactly. You're, you're a student first, athlete second, even though most of your time goes to, to on-court, off-court sporting activities. <laughs> right. You know, so current Pittsburgh Steelers uh, running back and former Alabama running back, Najee Harris, did an interview earlier this week and talked about fighting with Nick Saban all four years that he was at Alabama. You know, he said... Saban would belittle him often and that he was constantly pushing back because Saban was verbally crossing lines, you know, on the regular basis. Harris said things were so bad between the two, he ended up leaving school for more than a few weeks his senior year. You know, of course, that was covered up by Saban, but he eventually brought Harris into his office to clear the air, in which they did. Um, Now, to end the conversation, he did say that ever since that meeting, he and Saban have been solid. I mean, is anyone really shocked that the persona of these, you know, quote unquote, old school coaches continues to, you know, balloon today? No, absolutely not. And I don't, I don't think that anybody is. Uh, I mean, can you say many positive things about Nick Saban other no. than the fact that like it's a massive institution that has brand power? Like, sure, he's not some. It's twenty twenty two. He's not some innovative coach doing innovative things. He just has the ability to get the best, highest quality players. That doesn't sure. make him a, a, a some some phenomenal coach. And I think it's time to recognize that. But I don't know if everybody's Absolutely. ready to have that conversation yet. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one thing I, I found interesting and in looking back now that I've heard this interview is that 
when Najee Harris was drafted and first started training with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so many stories surrounding this guy was that, you know, they literally, literally were having to kick him out of the training facility. He was there 9, 10 p.m. in the evening sometimes. And one thing that stuck out is that, you know, he really refused to go home some days. And there was an interview with Nick Saban that I, I remember hearing or a quote that I remember seeing. And you know, he talked about the work ethic needed to play under him and how that translates to the NFL. So, you know, just in even in that, um, knowing what we know now here from Najee Harris, it doesn't surprise me or anyone else that he takes credit for success in any way possible. But I mean, even just recently, not sure if you've kept up with it, um, there's been questions about uh, this year's uh, Texas A&M uh, recruiting class. Um, he accused Texas A&M of, of cheating and doing something illegal because of, of the amount of top recruits. And uh, everyone's a little baffled because uh, yeah, <laughs> taking yeah. a look at the history there, if anybody was going to point the finger at a coach, I think Nick Saban's number one on that list. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that he's... Uh... He's definitely on his the downward spiral of his career. Um, it's kind of funny to talk about um, for him to speak about what it takes to succeed in the NFL when you know, as a coach, he didn't succeed in the NFL. Um, sure. So I, I I don't really know where he gets off talking about that, but uh, I think the whole the whole college football world is ready for uh, the next wave. Right. Right. Exactly. I I agree. Out. Out with some of this, uh, you know, old mentality, and 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 with some uh, some fresh minds here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Speaking maybe, of, maybe uh, we can, you know, with this with this new uh, new wave, uh, this might be what you're going to touch upon. But you know, the Big Ten signed their new media contract today. I uh, saw that. Yeah, kind of kind of cementing themselves as as a as a top, if not the top conference in terms of mm-hmm. media rights. Um, and you know, while the Big Ten has had their their issues, and the schools there have faced uh, a couple of questionable things over the over the recent history uh, sure. i am ready for uh, the sec to be dethroned i think that we, <laughs> should, we should we should stop celebrating schools that didn't allow you know black athletes until the 1960s right right exactly yeah there there is uh, a lot of changes to come here um speaking of you know fresh faces and uh fresh talent you know, for Tan- Fernando Tatis Jr. has been in the league here a couple seasons, and you know, some big news since our last episode, obviously, is the 80-game suspension for for PEDs. Um, Lefty, I want to ask you: Are we going to start seeing pitchers throw at this guy's head like they do everyone in the Astros? Um, and and also, does he have a Hall of Fame career, but never make it in? You know, 30 years from now because of this situation will this will this have a, a massively you know, negative impact on his career w- what do you think how does how, how, how do you see this all playing out i don't think anybody throws at him um hopefully we're moving past that just as a as an entire you know figment of the game it's pretty yeah. it's pretty antiquated and it's pretty sure. silly um especially as the astros all leave and go other places and whatnot um and even if they stayed with Houston, it's still a pretty silly thing. Um, that being said, pivoting to Tatis and his potential Hall of Fame legacy, um, you know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I think projection systems like Zips and whatnot are, are pretty high on the guy, but I think that when you're projecting that far into the future, um, you know, accumulating the, the, the number of, you know, just counting stats and then value needed to, to cement a Hall of Fame career. Sure, it's difficult to say anybody that young with that that few games under their belt will get there. Um, I I don't personally feel comfortable making that kind of hypothesis. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> you know, if he gets that far, I don't think that this impacts him, unless there yeah. are other you know other things down the road. It seems yeah. like he has made a number of questionable decisions in the last couple of months: motorcycle right. crashes, steroids, mm-hmm. but. You know, if they all stopped right now and he went back to his previous playing level, maintained it, had Hall of Fame numbers, I don't think this impacts him whatsoever. Sure, sure. Well, the one thing about sports in general is that uh, it is uh, pretty spectacular what some winning and some uh, some good 
good play does in people's minds to, to help them forget, you know, hiccups. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, I mean, look at our, uh, look at David Ortiz. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a great, that's a, actually, that's actually a, a great example. Yeah. Yeah. Also failed a, a, a drug test. Mm-hmm. They say that it doesn't count. Uh, it doesn't count if you don't want it to count. Uh, sure. And, you know, he didn't even have high enough numbers to get in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. He wasn't a Hall right. of Fame player to begin with. And he still got yeah. in because he won and played in a big media market. Right. Um, so, you know, if if Tatis can win some and the, the media clout surrounding the Padres expands, then, uh, sure. yeah, he'll have no issues. Yeah, yeah. The Padres. Small market team. Right. Yeah, that's that's what they say. How many people are in San Diego? <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh man. Well, uh, yeah. Hope we got another great episode ahead of us. Uh, Lefty, is there anybody that you would like to touch on? Yeah, you know, we're we're just talking about some former Hall of Famers and David and David Ortiz and maybe a potential Hall of Famer in Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, what do you think of other current players in MLB? Who are destined to to reach the Hall of Fame? Who comes to mind Des- for you? Oh my gosh, current MLB players. I, I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what age they are. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is, uh, you know, obviously a a current uh, Hall of Famer right now. I would Justin Verlander, uh, another. I know he's an Astro, by the way. You can't throw <laughs> at him. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a good you know, you know crop of players that are currently out there. You know, I would yeah, suspect Albert Pujols. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. He's getting ever closer to that that 700 home run mark. Oh yeah, you know they they Cardinals in their infinite wisdom pulling a hitter batting two for two on the day uh, to pinch yeah, hit yeah. Albert Pujols. But again, I digress. I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know there are a number of players in the league right now that that are you know almost Hall of Fame locks. Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, you, who you touched upon, Clayton Kershaw, sure. Justin Verlander, but. There's a player that I think should definitely be on that list, and they're 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 better than players like Clayton Kershaw, Miguel Cabrera, and maybe almost any current player, and that's Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke. You know he he's pretty far removed from uh, the frontline elite pitcher role that that he had early in his career, but uh, he's arguably the best and most consistent pitcher of the 2000s. Yeah. So after being drafted sixth overall in the 2002 MLB draft by the Kansas City Royals, Grinky made short work of the minors and was called up to the bigs in 2004 at only 20 years old. Mm. After only one full professional season in the minors, uh, Grinky got called up and started 24 games in the majors, finishing fourth in rookie of the year voting that year. Wow. You know, for, for a high draft pick pitcher uh, who made such a quick debut, It'd be understandable to assume that he has some, you know, pretty electric stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, you know that couldn't be further from the from the truth. His pitches aren't overwhelming. His fastball tops out around 93, and during his most dominant stretch, the average velocity was as low as 87 miles an hour. Right. To contextualize that velocity, during that time, the league average was between 91 and 94 miles per hour. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's throwing five six seven miles an hour slower than the average pitcher right which that's a just, big gap it, yeah huge gap you know and he also throws a variety of breaking pitches it's center around a curveball that he can kind of deliberately mix the shape and speed of and you know without overwhelming pitches grinky has relied on phenomenal control to induce weak contact limit walks and uh you know generate some swings and misses yeah so after that solid rookie showing in 2004 Grinky took a huge step back in 2005, leading the league with 17 losses. I I know losses pretty meaningless statistic, but it was backed up by a you know a FIP of about four and a half and career career highs in walks, hits per inning pitched, mm-hmm. hits per nine innings, and strikeouts per nine innings. Yeah, and you know not to mention that it was it was a large sample size you know he made more than 30 starts that yeah, season yeah. you know he, that, he pitched that was... a full season sure sure you know you know and and despite those those difficulties in 2005 uh in 2006 he only pitched in three games all out of the bullpen and he missed most of that season uh 
not for uh, a physical injury, but uh, battling a severe doubt bout of the depression and social anxiety disorder. Yeah, you know, I I, I clearly remember, you know, the time surrounding this in in Major League Baseball, anxiety and depression, uh, specifically social anxiety, was never spoken about. This was a brand new topic uh, in the world of sports, really. Um, and this was just in, you know, uncharted territory. So um, there were a lot of negative things that were being said about Zach Cranky during this time. Yeah, yeah, quite a few. And there was there was great fear that he'd never come back to, to baseball. He'd just walk yeah. away right there, um, which, you know, would have been understandable. But just despite that, he did return in 2007 uh, and came back stronger than ever he split time between a starting role and throwing in relief but uh in that 2007 season he was good enough to 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 earn back a full-time starting role in 2000 and his further success in 2008 really led to a breakout year in 2009 which ended up being the best season of his career so in route to a Cy Young victory in 2009 Grinky picked up his first all-star nod led the league with a 2.16 ERA a 205 ERA plus, and just to, just to break this down, what ERA plus is, in case you're not familiar, um, basically it's a ERA metric that is equalized for the league. Um, so the average ERA plus is is equalized to 100. Yeah. So each point above that 100 mark means you're one percent better than league average as a pitcher. Wow. So that season he was 105 percent better than any average pitcher in the league. That's pretty outstanding. That low ERA was also, you know, backed up by a 2.33 FIP and a 1.073 WHIP, and an astounding 0.4 home runs per nine inning. Wow! So just just overall dominance, keeping the ball in the park. Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in that season, he also accumulated 10.4 Baseball Reference WAR. Mm-hmm. That that BWAR total for a pitcher has only been bested by nine pitchers in the post-war era seven seven of those pitchers are hall of famers tom Seaver, sandy koufax randy johnson gaylord perry pedro martinez and steve carlton you gotta think yeah i mean you gotta think lefty to think about this comeback you know where he was just a short period of time prior to this ready to walk away from the game you know what happened here yeah just 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 a quick turnaround quick dominance just i mean and and again only nine pitchers have have bested that that 10.4 bor mark right seven hall of famers the eighth is roger clemens who has hall of fame numbers not a hall of fame personality right (laughs) um as well as dwight gooden and wilbur wood two pitchers that uh also you know are had hall of fame level stuff but uh, you know, Wilbur Wood started out of the bullpen, and Dwight Gooden was Dwight Gooden. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> but since that 2009 season, no pitcher has had a more uh, accumulated a higher BWAR in a season. Wow. So over the next few seasons, Greenkey would uh, continue to quietly produce positive value until another breakout came in 2015 at the age of 31. That season saw him only finish second in Cy Young voting. But he did lead the league with a 1.66 ERA and an even higher 2.22 ERA plus, a full 122 percent better than the average pitcher that season. Incredible. Along with that, he had a .844 WHIP as well as an 8.9 baseball reference wins above replacement. So again, in those two breakout seasons, he almost had 20 wins above replacement. It's just an incredible number. That's an incredible number. So all said, in, in 19 seasons, Grinky has started over 500 games, thrown 3,200 innings, struck out 2,800 batters, all with a 122 ERA plus and a 3.46 FIP. On top of that, Grinky has accumulated 75.7 BOR, a pretty high number there. Very On top of that, number. he's also been selected to seven All-Star games, won seven gold gloves, and three Silver Slugger awards for his uh, just just great hitting as a pitcher. Absolutely. 
And while those are great numbers, they don't really match the old guard kind of counting stats that pitchers have previously been held to in regard to, you know, what a Hall of Famer is. He sure. doesn't have the the high win total. He doesn't have the, you know, super high strikeout numbers. But, uh, you know, he does have numbers that represent nearly two decades of great pitching with, uh, you know, two peaks that really haven't been matched in the last 80 years. Absolutely. Grinky, you know, also played the majority of his career in absolute media black holes when we talk about oh, yeah. Kansas City, Arizona, Milwaukee. Right. And he also doesn't have a good track record with media or teammates. Sure. You know, the, the true gatekeepers of what a Hall of Famer is. Um, but what he has been is a great role model for folks living with mental illness. Um, but his struggles have pushed away you know, extensive interviews with media uh, and kind of hampered relationships with teammates. Uh, there there have been interviews with some of his former teammates that have talked about the fact that in multiple years playing together, he never spoke to them once. <laughs> hey, you know, you, you don't have much to say. Yeah, <laughs> you, can't, I mean, you, you can't say it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, I imagine that it's probably not super fun to be on the receiving end of that, but like, how many times have, have the two of us, you know, faked conversations with coworkers we don't really of want course. to have? Of course. I mean, my, I, we're all grownups here. You know, you know, you don't have to put forth the effort, uh, you know, you don't have to put on a face. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously all of those things are totally inconsequential when it comes to on-field performance. Um, you know, but that's impacted the way that he's viewed by media and it's uh, impacted his popularity as a player. Sure. But, you know... Interestingly, in recent years, he's seen a small resurgence in popularity as some of his antics have been viewed in like a newfound uh, quirky and affectionate light uh, by some folks on the internet. Um, <laughs> whether that be, you know, insisting that he, he would only come back if he could play shortstop <laughs> earlier in his career or <laughs> straight up yelling uh, at batters, telling them what, what he's going to pitch. Um, right, right. His quirks are also kind of what make him... Uh, uh, truly unique player in the current current baseball landscape um you know so so Bo after learning you know a little bit more about Zach Greinke do you think he's just a, a pitcher with longevity and the ability to kind of accumulate some counting stats or do you think that he's underrated you know I I think that Zach Greinke is as we sit right now I believe he he's firmly underrated and you know, right before we jumped into this, we talked about guys like Verlander, who obviously is having an outstanding season. You know, we talked about Clayton Kershaw. Um, not only was Zach Greinke, um, you know, an amazing pitcher and still is, um, he was one of the better hitting pitchers. You know, I think he has a 225 batting average. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it's worth I, noting that, that five of his wins above replacement come from hitting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, with When you take a look at his numbers, when you take a look at his uh, career ERA plus, and you take a look at uh, pitching war, there's only a small group of pitchers in baseball history who, who have those same numbers that aren't in the Hall of Fame. And we're talking about guys like Roger Clemens. We're talking about guys like Kurt Schilling, Kevin Brown, and about... Um, uh, uh, to current Hall of Famers, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Verlander. Um, to me, in my opinion, Zach Greinke is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Okay. Um, I take a look at a guy like Roy Halladay. If you do a side-by-side -side of Roy Halladay's numbers um, against Greinke's, um, they are very, very, very close. And he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, one of the things that always stood out to me about Zach Greinke is you know just the science behind his pitching he was a, a mastermind right i mean he just was outstanding on the mound and still you know to this day is i mean he's it's it's part of you know how he's been able to stick around for 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 so long you know um at the same time more, more importantly you kind of touched on it 
There was a time in his career when he wanted to quit the game. There was a time in his career when he was struggling with an issue that no one spoke about, no one accepted. You know, even here locally um, in the Midwest, the conversations, you know, um, about Zach Granke's mental health, I mean, were very, very negative. Uh, people were telling him, you know, to just stay home, quit, uh, never come back. You know, the guy's being a baby. Uh, for him to take all that and turn it around and create the career that he created, I mean, it's, again, it's beyond what, you know, the game really means. So, yeah, I don't think currently um, people understand what Zach Granke's, you know, done in his career and in the game. But uh, I, I I do have confidence as far as Granke goes that he will be appreciated uh, come Hall of Fame voting time. Yeah, you know, I think we'd both hope so. I don't know if he'll get that, that first ballot nudge that yeah. he deserves. You know, Roy Halladay, you know, he was up for election after a tragic death. For sure. Uh, and, yeah, and there was what, a, yeah. That's absolutely. what propelled that. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the volume at which you play the game impacts how it's remembered. And Zach Grinke has not played it at, uh, at a typical volume. Um, right, right. Um, but, you know, he's had a phenomenal career. Um, one that I think is underappreciated and, and definitely, uh, definitely should grow as he retires, hopefully. Um, sure, sure. Agreed. That said, another great thing about Zach Grinke that I failed to mention was just how into sabermetrics he is. Um, after the after his 2009 Cy Young, he, mm-hmm. he, in an interview, mentioned that he pitches just for the stat FIP um, that I touched upon earlier, which is fielding independent pitching, which basically oh, wow. is, is a measure of how many runs you give up as a result sure. of, of your pitching independent of, of the, the lineup behind you. Um, right. The things that you can control as a pitcher. Um, so outstanding. I, yeah. In, in, a, in an era when, when stats like that were available, but, but less, uh, less respected, uh, he was definitely a, you know, a forefather of, of, of the stats that people care about now. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, um, what uh, you know when we're talking about mechanics and we're talking about pitches you know every hall of fame pitcher had their their signature pitch um not a lot of people talk about this but zach granke has an incredible slider and i don't i don't even think hitters have that they going into the season they were hitting 154 against his slider uh i mean that's a, a career 230 slugging percentage against that singular pitch of his you know that was 51% of his strikeouts were produced because of, of that slider, uh, career-wise. Um, a, riff, a whiff rate of 42%. And so, That's wild. It is. And and more than half of those pitches uh, that were put into play were ground balls. So, um, you know, I looking back on it, um, you know, I'll, I'll, for him, I, I believe he said he used that slider in order to not put excessive strain on his arm. But it had, over his career, become his most effective pitch. Um, numbers are nuts when it comes to uh, Zach Ranke's slider. So, you know, if uh, I just thought I'd throw that out there, it's uh, it's some outstanding metrics behind that. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty wild as he's adjusted. You know, with age, his his repertoire has really changed. You know, mm-hmm. it looks like you know, like in twenty, like last season, he only threw two pitches. In 2019, he threw six. So it's right. it's you know he he's he's a, a, a testament to what happens when you can you know pay attention to the world around you and adapt rather than trying to to maintain stay the course. Sure, exactly. He was smart enough to realize um, I need to adapt and I need to continue to evolve as opposed to you know, doing the same thing that put me here as my body changes and continues to change along with the game and anybody else who's looking at sabermetrics and can <laughs> play yeah. that game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He was the, uh, you know, ahead of the head of the game there and remains so. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so I guess we both agree, Zach Grinke, underrated player. 100%. Um, 
Let's take a quick break and we'll dive into uh, your story, Bo. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we just had a nice conversation about Zach Grinky. Uh, Bo, is there anybody you wanted to talk about this week? Yes. Yeah, so today I wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction, Lefty. You know, we've covered individual athletes that may or may not be underrated in each of these episodes, but I wanted to talk about an entire program today, um, a program that has played a, a pivotal role in NCAA men's basketball history, but they don't make it into uh, any conversations in regards to top programs in the country. Uh, now, when we think of powerhouse NCAA men's basketball programs in the 21st century, uh, who usually comes to your mind first, Lefty? You know, you definitely have the the Dukes, the North Carolinas, sure, maybe the Michigan States, right? Um, right. You know, if you hundred percent. If you dive a little deeper, maybe the the Gonzagas, the Villanovas of the world. Right. Exactly. You're gonna. Uh, I hundred percent agree. You said it. Uh, Duke, Kansas, UNC, the Kentuckys, the Michigan States, the Novas, the Arizonas. The school I'm going to discuss is ranked twelfth all time in wins currently. Uh, if this school has 40 more wins, they have surpassed St. John's, Indiana, and Arizona all time. You know, all programs that had their inaugural seasons within a few years of each other. So, this program has 32 NCAA tournament appearances under their belt. Let's chat about uh, Cincinnati Bearcats men's basketball. Let's 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 dive in. All right, so. Many schools throughout the country have a respected program, but it takes more than that to be recognized. You know, the Bearcats could be looked at as a first true dynasty in men's college basketball, if you rewind a little bit. Um, They made five straight Final Four appearances between 1959 and 1963. You know, the only other school to do that is UCLA. Um, Now, I don't care who you are, how many great players you have on your team, and how good your coach is. In order to make it into the final four five consecutive times, you have something special, right, Lefty? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's it's not about, you know, having the best players. It's about having the group of players that play the best at the same time on the court. Um, and they did. They won two national championships in that time period in 61 and 62. So through the majority of the 60s, they were an absolute machine. And that success continued right into the 70s you know in totality they compiled a a 170 and 85 record in in the 70s Uh, they started out strong in the newly formed metro conference by winning the league's first two tournament championships and made four consecutive postseason appearances uh, from 1974 to 1977 and that that includes a sweet 16 appearance in 1975. now most of the 80s is where the program lost its footing. Uh, just a really rough time for the school. Uh, and that was highlighted by the 83-84 season where UC won three games. Yes, that's three Ooh. games they won. <laughs> so they, they failed to make a single NCAA tourney appearance and had one postseason appearance in the 85 NIT. Yikes. So, yeah, it was, it was a rough decade. Um, as expected, they were in a hurry to get out of it. So uh, before they could, uh, Bob Huggins, the former head coach at the University of Akron, was hired on uh, prior to the 89-90 season, and he immediately revived the program. Now, we talked about quick turnarounds, you know, with Zach Greinke. Huggins posted winning records in his first two seasons, and in his third season in 92, the Bearcats are back in the Final Four. So they lost to the Michigan's Fab Five, uh, but it changed pace for the school indefinitely. They advanced to the Elite Eight three times and a Sweet 16 four times under under Huggins uh, while he was coach. They won their conference and or a tournament title 12 years out of the 13-year span uh, under, under Huggins. You know, they were ranked often in the top 10 and sometimes even at number one. So they claimed eight league tourney titles, 10 regular season uh, crowns, and appeared in 14 consecutive NCAA tournaments. You know, 
15 Bearcats were first team all conference uh, during this era. Wow. And, you know, Kenyon Martin was a top player in the entire NCAA during the 99 2000 season. He took home virtually every national player of the year award that was out there and then ended up being the number one overall pick in the NBA draft in 2000. Um, just an out, out, outstanding era of, of Bearcats, you know, men's basketball. So in 05, Huggins was forced to resign by school president, uh, Nancy Zimper. He routinely only graduated 30% of his players, you know, according to statistics. And that just didn't fit in the plan. Uh, they wanted to upgrade UC's academic reputation and it couldn't be done that way. So uh, Mick Cronin took over in 2006. And this is a year after, uh, you know, Huggins had resigned. They virtually did no recruiting for a year. I mean, they were scrounging for players when Cronin took over. So it, was, it wasn't it was a quick rebuild. He struggled in his first two seasons, but they, they finally found their footing again going into the 2010s. The program was just built on Cronin's rugged defense. They returned to the NCAA tournament in 2011, and, and through 2019, they were one of only six programs to make eight consecutive tournament appearances, the others being Duke, Gonzaga, Kansas, Michigan State, and UNC. So during this time, they had uh, you know two AAC Player of the Year winners and uh, a, a huge group of future NBA players. So you know to sum this up, Cincinnati has more championships than Syracuse, number six all time in wins. They have more championships than Notre Dame, number eight all time in wins. And Arizona, number 11 all time in wins. Teams that are just ahead of them on that list. They're tied in championships with Louisville and Michigan State. They've lost less games and have a better winning percentage than Indiana. St. John's and Temple. And yet, they're rarely referred to as an elite program or make it onto many lists of all-time great programs. So this begs the question, are they accurately appreciated? Are they acknowledged as a good team that performed well in the Big East, the AAC, Conference USA play against competition that maybe wasn't you know equivalent to some of these other programs? Or is it that the UC Bearcats men's basketball program is underrated, Lefty? You know, uh, I'm going to say that they are they are adequately rated. I think that uh, they definitely had some pretty high years there in the 60s. Sure. But uh, as you just touched upon, the weaker, weaker opponents, uh, you know, that was a time in which mid-majors really won a lot of championships uh definitely and and we've seen that uh they're not not really able to compete at that high level uh recently obviously they can make tournaments they can win the conference but uh sure they're not uh they're not going to was it four or five consecutive final fours right uh, right they're not winning any national championships right now uh, right obviously that was a great you know huggins in the in the in the 90s was a great coach there that, sure. that streak of consecutive tournaments was really incredible. Um, but, uh, you know, didn't quite didn't quite cut it. Uh, right. Couldn't get to the top. I think that maybe if he had won a championship then, maybe two, uh, it'd be a different conversation. Maybe if sure. they have had, you know, some more recent success in the tournament, uh, mm-hmm. be a different conversation. But, uh, you know... As it stands, I think they're they're pretty ad- adequately rated. Yeah, this is a tough conversation, right? Because within this big list are schools like St. John's and Temple that are also playing, you know, in the same conferences. These are Big East teams or AAC teams or Conference USA teams with you know the 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 same competition, who were winning more and and doing more. So it's a very difficult conversation. Uh, they're a great storied program, you know, things may be turning around for them here in the, uh, you know, in the near future, hopefully they, uh, they just landed, you know, a, uh, a top 30 recruit here in Rayvon Griffith, uh, who, uh, had offers from Kansas state and Penn state and university of South Carolina and Louisville turned them all down to stay in his hometown. Um, 
I think things are going to turn around for them a little bit in the future. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a conversation to be had. They they're right on the brink there. Obviously, they have a storied history. But for a lot of people, uh, you know, like yourself, it's you know that hurdle of hey, you know, what have you continued to do? We can talk all day about what has happened in the, in the '60s, but uh, overall success and longevity. Where have you been? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, not uh, quite as. Uh drastic of an example but it's 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 much like uh you know smu like that's a that was a storied football program obviously that that turned out a little different but it's not super relevant in the current conversation Uh, absolutely you know even the the unlv squad to the 90s um, right you know there there have been obviously the the cincinnati consistency over decades um is an impressive feat uh something that isn't matched quite like uh you know by those other programs and those other sports but at the same time uh you know if you if you can't get over the final hurdle um really doesn't matter how many times you start the race right no i mean that's uh that's definitely uh a truth right there um yeah a, a great program but uh maybe not an elite program right yeah 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 and it'll be interesting to see how you know I, I think we've seen with some other programs that when you get one of those top 100, top 30 recruits, um, it can really propel you to to more localized success. You know, conference tournaments, sure, uh, sure, maybe NCAA tournament berths. But uh, the, you need more than just that one top talent to to get over the the elite eight hurdle. Ab- um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you know, uh, I'm not certain how the how the the nil shakedown will will impact cincinnati mm-hmm. maybe there's a, just a some really deep cincinnati pockets um that hey, are, are gonna help there but uh i don't know i don't i don't yeah i don't have well a there's faith. yeah definitely there's uh there is a lot to look forward to for the uh for the school and for this program they've got a new coaching staff hopefully uh recruiting is going in a different direction but it would be great to uh, see a revived program. So, uh, you know, to sum it up, Lefty, uh, we've got one vote for the adequately rated, and we've got a one vote for uh, an underrated. So, uh, yeah, good luck to the uh, the Bearcats here this this upcoming season. We uh, will uh, we'll both be excited uh, to uh, see some success here. We'll be watching. Yeah, we'll we'll be watching. Yeah, are they uh, are they starting the season in the Big Twelve, or is that next year? That is going to be next year. Okay. Yeah. So maybe they'll 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 wrap up their their American Athletic Conference. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, live livelihood as a as success story. That's right. But, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Definitely, we will. We'll be on the uh, we'll be on the lookout. Absolutely. Are there any uh, anything coming up in the world that uh, you're excited about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the weekends here. And for us uh, now, you know, we've got week three of the English uh, Premier League coming up and some good games on Saturday and Sunday. We've we've got your Brentford lads. They're taking on the winless Fulham Club, which is either going to be a cakewalk or a disaster. Uh, and yeah, after that, <laughs> after that, uh, just uh, just decimation of Man- Manchester United. Oh, my uh, goodness. Wow. I mean, that uh, what a game, man. That was that really sent uh, some shockwaves uh, through uh, yeah. through, the, through the world there. Yeah, I think a lot of people expected uh, Man U to falter a bit, but uh, nobody expected them to, to give up four first-half goals. Right, exactly, exactly. That was uh, a pretty exciting game. Uh, we've also got the Leeds and Chelsea uh, game, uh, both clubs trying to move up the ladder, and uh, we've got Newcastle trying to knock the... Uh, top club off their throne there so um some interesting games this weekend to keep an eye out for um you know those are the ones i'm kind of keeping an eye on so uh we will we'll see how that turns out uh i haven't kept up too much with fulham there lefty what uh what are you thinking what is your prediction you know i i think that uh brentford is a much uh more talented deep squad sure but you know sometimes it's hard to keep up energy levels after after such you know emotional high energy matches yeah. um so so after after you know that impressive you know performance against man U, it might be difficult to keep that energy level right up so you know 
I, I think they should get the win, and I hope that they do. But it wouldn't be all that surprising if it, if it ended uh, ended in a draw. Right. Yeah. You know, um, you've always got to look out for those, you know, hungry, winless clubs that uh, want to mess someone's day up, or you know, make sure that they're not falling too far behind. Uh, you never know what's going to come out there. As there's a lot of emotion yeah. on that side too, as well. Although I would love to see Brantford stay in a in a top three position for another week. Yeah, exactly. They they're number three in the in the standings right now, which is uh, which is outstanding. Absolutely. Um, and there's some other interesting soccer stuff. I know that uh, today, I believe, was the first first day of uh, the women's UEFA Champions League. Uh, so, yes. So uh, you know, international or domestic clubs are uh, all kicking off around the world. Uh, lots of exciting things to see. So definitely something to keep an eye on there it's the early rounds yeah exactly uh some mlb games to check out you've got the mets and phillies that are playing philadelphia is fighting hard to create some room there in the nl wild card race uh it's a tough division rival i i don't think i've ever said that in my life about the mets and uh they are one of the best teams in the national league also something i don't believe i've ever said so uh that'll be an interesting series uh the Nationals and the Padres continue to face off now that they've swapped teams. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, continues to go on. Uh, I wanted to ask Lefty, did you see the video from the other night? Uh, Wilson Contreras in Washington having a back and forth uh, with a couple of fans at uh, the Nationals Park. Uh, no, I did not. I, uh, I, I did not. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, there was some frustration, and uh, I think this was in uh, some extra innings. Uh, it may have been a fly ball or something, and a, and a, a couple of fans uh, were making some comments and heckling Contreras, as it was said. Uh, whatever happened, uh, there was some pretty big emotions here. Contreras goes in the dugout. He's obviously pissed off, comes out. The two fans were ejected from the stadium, and the the team released a statement today stating that they were banned for five years. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure this out here. Number one, do you know how they even enforce that? <laughs> how do you enforce a, a ban? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, um, I, I find it to be five, five years, uh, you know, for heckling. I, I find it to be a little extreme. Um, now I will say this, um, uh, apparently, I, I don't know the extent of the heckling. It, it wasn't race related. It wasn't, uh, you know, um, I think anything more than telling a guy that he's freaking terrible or, or something. But uh, I mean, it, how far do we go with with these bans on on heckling? You know, I think we talked about Wilson Contreras a few weeks ago and how uh, many of the things that he he does are incredibly <laughs> melodramatic. Um, and I think that we might yes. have another example yes. of this here. Again, I've not followed this go. story and I don't know what was said. Um, but I have to assume that it wasn't that big of a deal for somebody who makes $10 million and plays <laughs> baseball for a living. Um, as long, as, oh, long as, you know, it's not personal threats against someone's life or, you know, as you mentioned, you know, uh, racist statements or something like that. Uh, Sure. People yell shit at baseball games all the time, all sports. Right, right, exactly. Uh, if it's not given any attention, it's not. There, nothing's going to happen, right? I mean, there's not somebody just standing there saying, you can't say this to a player, don't shout this. I mean, if you've ever seen a, a game at Wrigley Field, you, you'll know that the, the, the worst of the worst comes out, and it's a very uh, uh, aggressive, uh, you yeah. know, place yeah, to be I, in the stands I, there my memory i i know i know people have been ejected from wrigley field for not heckling a player enough oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> here we go <laughs> uh i'd also like to talk about other big social media news here um the manager of the chicago white sox tony la Russa. I, you know, a video you sent me the other oh, night of, of, of a fan calling for a pinch runner and LaRusa waking up from his nap just in time to call a timeout, get out there and pinch run. 
um what the hell is happening <laughs> out here uh you know i don't know i i've 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 not been excited about a game in a while and i try not to watch them anymore actually um <laughs> it's I'm just taking, uh so it's a frustrating time a mental health break this season uh there you go i just see what, what what pops up on my twitter feed um sure i'm not certain what they're doing uh i don't think they know what they're doing so sometimes it, it's it, just it's it's just better to not think too hard about things did a did did tlr ever address whether or not he heard that fan uh he did. He said that uh, he made the decision himself, but uh, if if the, the fan feels acknowledged by it, uh, more power to them. Yeah. Uh, if anybody out there watches the video, you can tell us. And, uh, you know, guys, I just want to say, for, for those of you who can see us, Lefty is taking a mental break, but he is wearing his, his White Sox cap right now. So <laughs> just... He is he is a dedicated fan. He sometimes you need to take a step back and take a breather. That that that's all I of us. I think that uh, I think they lost today by about forty seven runs. You <laughs> look that up. <laughs> oh man, well, like I said, uh, <laughs> it's it's been an interesting experiment up there with Tony Larusa. Uh, you know some. You know how they ran that experiment? It's kind of famed about how slow tar can drip. Have you heard about this? Yeah. You know, they ran yeah. it. took 120 some odd years for some tar to drip. Uh, some things just don't need to be studied. And this is an experiment that didn't need to happen. <laughs> Man. Well, uh, y- you never know. Uh, I'm not going to hold my breath, but TLR may be able to return to... Uh, you know, World Series playoff contending Hall of Fame form. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, my do, fingers do you think are crossed. The Cardinals can sign him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's we don't want that to happen. They'll uh, they'll bring him back for sure. Yeah, he'll probably DH for us next season. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, listen, another fun one here. We had uh, two great stories. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, what we believe is a you know uh, a lock for for Hall of Fame and may change the Hall of Fame voting game as Lefty has touched upon in, in other episodes. And uh, we talked about a possibly underrated uh, program in uh, the University of Cincinnati's uh, uh, men's basketball. So uh, Lefty, tell them where we can uh, hear more from their end. Yeah, if you want to voice your opinion on Zach Greinke, the Cincinnati men's basketball team, or you want to tell me that I'm wrong about Nick Saban being old and out of touch, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at underrated pod. That's at under underscore rated underscore pod on Twitter. Or you can listen to this episode and every other episode on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts can be found. Until next week. Until next week, guys. Thanks for tuning in.